Welcome into another edition of the Email Online Podcast. Mason Voth flying solo with you today as uh, Alec had other stuff going on. He has been a road warrior the last however long. Uh, he hit the road after the Radford basketball game on the 21st of December to go home for the holidays. Uh, and then he didn't go back to Manhattan until after we made it back from the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. He was there for a full day before he hit the road for Austin. He's been in Texas the whole last week. So when I said, hey, uh, you got time to podcast tomorrow, he's like, well, I kind of got this, this, and this that I got to do story-wise. And then also, like, I should probably go grocery shopping since I haven't really been home uh, in two, three weeks. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. So I've got no problem going solo here. The beauty of a podcast is it can be as long or as short as I want it to be. It's not like having to grind through three hours of radio by yourself, which uh, can be quite the task at times, uh, when, especially when people that you need to rely upon don't answer their phone in the morning. It's like, hey, so-and-so's out or they're not showing up. Uh, can you get here? And No, you're on your own. So uh, as you can tell, I'm not bothered or salty about that situation at all. Point of today is we're just going to talk about K-State basketball because the Cats have put themselves in a really good spot in their first year under Jerome Tang. And there are so many different ways that we can go into this and and try and attack this uh, in some level because there are a lot of things going on that mean a lot of different things for K-State. I mean, starting in kind of the, you know, the the smaller portion of this, just how important it is for this season as a whole and momentum moving forward for K-State, it's significant that they're already having success, especially when this roster is isn't necessarily what we anticipate future rosters looking like for Jerome Tang. I mean, this is a roster built up of only two dudes that were in Manhattan last year, and everybody else is just kind of pulled in from elsewhere. Now, you're not going to luck into a Keontae Johnson being in the transfer portal every year, and you know that, that's a particular circumstance that maybe benefited K-State more than others. You also get a guy like Naquan Tomlin that is this diamond in the rough that the people that know were really interested and excited to see what he did, but he was very raw. And you can still see how raw Naquan Tomlin is, but this staff has been able to at least get him into a point where he can he can do a lot of good things for him right now. And Tomlin, because he's so gifted and everything else, like he can make up for some of the mistakes that he makes. So you have that going for you. That's all significant. But then let's like look at the the fact of can this team make the NCAA tournament it's something that K-State has not done in three years now really four I guess would would technically be what it is um, but there's a three season gap where K-State didn't make the NCAA tournament and here the Cats sit right now with a fantastic record they're 14-1 3-0 in the Big 12 and they, they probably still need to get that win against Florida in the Big 12 SEC Challenge at home. Florida's a whatever kind of team. You know, they're, they're pretty meh. But with that being said, if they get that win, I mean, you go 8-10 and 10 in the Big 12, you're probably a lock to make the NCAA tournament this year. That means K-State, at this point, with all those games left on the schedule, are probably five wins away from clinching an NCAA tournament berth already, which is pretty impressive. Now, maybe the committee would look at it differently if K-State lost a bunch of games at the end of the season, so maybe it needs to be a more balanced 8-10, and 10, but I, I still think 8-10 and 10 in this league is going to get you in, and there are probably going to be some teams that go 7-11 and 11 in this conference that make it in the NCAA tournament. That's how good the Big 12 is. So you have that to focus on and how K-State is already close to achieving that goal. Now you look around and add into the mix that they've got a leg up on a lot of people in this conference because 
they've got two road wins at places that aren't necessarily like madhouses to go and play at, like Texas and Baylor. It's not like it's the most crazy of environments. We'll get into that in a little bit. Texas has done a better job because they've shrunk uh, their venue from the, the Irwin Center to uh, the, the Moody Center. But kind of thinking about that, like K-State having a road win at Texas and Baylor in their hand already, that gives you a big advantage on the teams that have either only played one road game or their road games have been to you know some some easier venues. Like you think Iowa State, they, their road win is at Shawmeyer Arena. And the Frogs, yes, they're they're starting to get a little bit more support for basketball, but it's a it's a tiny place, not like the most packed environment. And also, they did it in a weekend where, in the those TCU grads, they got money, so they probably are out there. But the TCU fans that can and are excited about TCU athletics, they're in Los Angeles right now, getting ready for the national championship tonight. As I'm recording this, so. That's another significant thing that should be taken into consideration is where K-State got their wins at, at two teams that were expected to be at the top of the conference. Maybe the math gets recalculated on Baylor, but they do have the talent. Scott Drew, obviously, we know the, the, the pedigree he is as a coach. So maybe at some point here uh, in the near future, they're going to finally start to turn things around. And that win, I would imagine, looks better by the end of the year for K-State. Baylor did drop out of the top 25 today. And that's the other notable thing about this is that K-State has jumped up to number 11 in the AP Top 25. So they are ranked for the first time under Jerome Tang. And they do so going from unranked to number 11. That is the the biggest in-season jump for an unranked team in the history of the AP Top 25. Now, of course, there are some that had that happen before the AP poll expanded to 25 teams, but that is the biggest jump, uh, according to ESPN, since they expanded to 25, K-State going from unranked to number 11, and they do it with three string ranked wins and victories that are not only just good for the vanity purpose of everything, but also if you want to dive into and go take a look at like what's going on in the net right now. K-State is up to the 11th spot in the net. That's also obviously where they are in the top 25. And for the Wildcats inside some of that, some things to note resume-wise moving forward for them. So they have the quad one win at home against West Virginia. The Mountaineers are still number 19 in the net. They also have the then quad one win at Texas, who's number 10 in the net, and a quad one win at Baylor, who's number 31 in the net. Other teams that are quad one games right now for K-State, Butler on the road, that 12-point loss early in the season, and then Nevada, the overtime win of the Cayman Islands Classic, the Wolfpack are number 29 in the net right now, uh, and Steve Alford, who's the head coach of the Wolfpack at this point in time, uh, has them off to a pretty solid start this year. They're 14-3, and but they're also 4-0 in the Mountain West this season, so Nevada has themselves in a nice spot, and they could only continue to rise up in the net. They took a big jump uh, after they had a monstrous win over San Jose State over the weekend. They jumped 20 spots in the net. So that is a good win for K-State in the eyes of uh, the NCAA evaluation tool. So an acronym inside of an acronym with how everything goes. Uh, the other games for K-State right now that you might want to know about um, Wichita State is at least doing enough to be a quad one game right now, or a quad three game, excuse me. Um, that's something that didn't seem all that likely, but the Shockers are, are doing it. They, they beat South Florida yesterday. In Nebraska, uh, th- that win might end up into uh, 
a decent spot uh, eventually. We'll have to wait and see for the uh, the quad two distinction, see if it can move up from quad three. But those are a couple of the things to note. So things going well for K-State in that regard. And it's just huge for this program to already be inside the top 25 all the way up to number 11 and seeing how this thing is developed so quickly and so fast with Jerome Tang and this staff. I mean, the energy is there. They've brought the energy ever since they showed up. People bought back in immediately to basketball, and it's an exciting time at K-State with everything else going on. So that's great news. But I think there were still a lot of people that were weary that it could happen this year. I mean, K-State was picked last in the conference by the league's coaches. At at the time, I even thought that was silly. K-State was not going to finish last this year with the talent they had. And the team that that they had last year was competitive in almost every single Big 12 game. And that team last year is not better than this team. And it certainly seems like – I don't know if it's true coaching that's better, although there are some signs that would indicate that the coaching is even better on this team – I think really just even, you know, the the shift in the vibes is important as well. I mean, shout out to Stats of War on Twitter who who keeps talking about this with TCU, but like TCU was 5 and 7 last year. And Sonny Dyke shows up and same players, same schedule, all that, and they go 12 and 1. They're in the college football playoff. They're in, they're playing for a title tonight. It's just kind of crazy, and really the biggest and only thing that changed was, hey, Sonny Dykes came in. Like, it was, a, it was a vibe change, and TCU football had this juice again that it had kind of lost over the last few years with Gary Patterson, and I think that's part of it for K-State. So they're in a really good spot right now, and we'll see uh, how it continues on. They've got Oklahoma State on Tuesday. That's the midweek game for the Wildcats as they return to Bramlage. That's going to be probably the first time that it feels like the doom is back in Manhattan because – all the other times this year that K-State has had a chance to have a significant crowd or it, it would be pretty juiced up, it's just been weird circumstances. I mean, your two marquee games before the start of 2023, you get screwed over because, and again, K-State's not getting screwed over. The basketball team is, though. The Big 12 Championship is played on December 3rd in, in Arlington when K-State is supposed to host Wichita State. As everybody on here that is listening knows, uh, and maybe you don't, but I do not like Wichita State. Uh, Growing up in Hutchinson, Kansas, and being so close to Wichita and dealing with Wichita State fans, there is a sense of entitlement there that is not earned or deserved, but they feel like since they had like two and a half good years of basketball under a guy that allegedly uh, hit his players and assistant coaches, that they are a basketball school and they are the big brother in the state. No, I, I can deal with KU entitlement at times because it's earned, it's deserved. Like, they've won two national championships in, in the last 15 years. Bill Self is one of the best basketball coaches. Like, it, all that stuff. Pipe down Wichita State. So I wanted nothing more than to have been in Bramlage for that game. I mean, my entire life has been built up to, I wanted to see K-State beat Wichita State in Bramlage. I got to do it in Interest Bank Arena in Wichita last year. And I, although I was grateful to be at the Big 12 Championship and the Cats get a win there, I missed out on it. I, I wanted that. So that's a tough card because that would have been a packed house. It was a sellout, but there were some empty seats because, again, there were, you know, however many thousands of K-Staters in Arlington. Well, then you get to the Big 12 opener against West Virginia. It's always a fun game. West Virginia is a competitive team no matter what the situation is and the football team is playing in the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. And again, there are thousands upon thousands of K-Staters on the road in New Orleans, and it's a, it's a tough pill to swallow. Like, it's a tough deal. 
and before I dive into the good stuff, because there is a ton of good stuff, but let me point out the one thing that I think is a slight negative and has rubbed me. Uh, I, it's not like it's rubbed me the wrong way, but I've been a little bit disappointed in it. The attitude that has been taken on by some of the basketball staff and former players in criticizing fans, and maybe, again, maybe this is a tactic to try to get everybody to show up, but I think it could have been done in a little bit of a better way because there does seem to be a possible negative tone and a directment of some social media posts and whatever else at fans not showing up and some frustration there, and it's like, hey, look, the basketball team's doing their part. Now nobody's showing up. Like, you can't blah, blah, blah. Understand that there were certain circumstances there that have prevented people from filling Bramlage like they wanted to. And I've thought that the crowds have been very good this year. I mean, the, the, the crowd for the exhibition game at the start of the year, like, that was... I, I, you, Bruce Weber didn't have crowds like that for, for Big 12 games towards the end of his career. And that was pretty impressive. They had, like, over 7,000 people in attendance for a 1 o'clock game with bad weather coming against Radford before the holiday break. That's pretty good. Kansas City, that Kansas City game, like that was some of the biggest attendance probably Kansas City had seen for a game like that since the early Weber years, you know, when they, what, they would have played like Florida up there. Like that was a great crowd for the Nebraska game. And it was an energized place. It felt big time. It felt like K-State could play in that environment and continue that trend and that tradition because it made sense. So you had that going for you. But then you had some other things that didn't, like, the Big 12 Championship, and the Sugar Bowl, and, and everything else. Like, I have no doubt that regardless of if things have been said or not, Bramlage was going to be full, is going to be full Tuesday night for the game against Oklahoma State. Then they hit the road again, and it's TCU, and then, of course, it's going to be Kansas. It's going to be the Sunflower Showdown. That place is going to go berserk. That's going to be the best environment in a long, long time in Bramlage Coliseum. I, that environment will probably be better than the 2019 environment with Barry, Dean, and Cam and, and finally taking down Kansas on the way to winning the Big 12 championship because the energy is just at a much different place. Like even when Bruce was winning that second Big 12 title, people still weren't all the way on board. They were still a little weary. They, they weren't sure how to feel. Now with this team, like you know how to feel about Jerome Tang and his staff and, and, and everybody is all in on the love for Jerome Tang and it makes a ton of sense. Uh, why people would be like that. And so that's going to carry over into the crowd that's always great for KU games, but it's going to have extra juice this year, similar to what it was like when Frank Martin was the head coach at K-State because the the community, the fans, the alumni, the students, they all feel this connection to this staff and this team already. And that's something that maybe didn't feel the same with the Weber regime. And I think that's also why that connectivity and why everybody feels so engaged with them can also be a bad thing at times and why they're it's okay to to feel like maybe some of the, sh the things that have been said over the last couple days about fan attendance in Bramlage if you're upset by that like that's totally fine and, and that's one of those downfalls to being so connected is the the information and your thoughts are out there a little bit more a little bit deeper with the fan base and and so that's the one misstep that I think that this staff has made so far is the way that they've handled this attendance problem because there's a lot of nuance to it and again, I, I, I like, I, I hate to say this, but it's true. It kind of blows my mind that a staff made up of guys from Baylor, like Jerome Tang was, who, by the way, is tearing down their facility and making a, a venue with smaller capacity that will be open next year. So that was the last game K State will play in the Farrell Center. 
So Baylor, who notably does not draw well despite being a national title contender the last five years. Then you have York Maligi, who comes from Texas and has experience there. And again, that's another place that they had to tear down their old building. And the only reason they got a new venue was because Austin needed space for concerts and other events. And they shut down the top half, the top section of seating at the new Moody Center because they know they can't fill it up. So even though the crowds are a little bit more lively, they just have like blocked off giant areas. Then you have other guys on the staff that are from like North Texas and Alcorn State that are making it up. Like, I can't imagine you were coming from the most packed places. So I, I hope that this staff understands and, and they don't hold anything against the K-State fan base for not being at some of these games because when you play random Sunday afternoon games against non-con opponents that aren't very good or, you know, 8 o'clock games on a Tuesday night, like, that makes it tough in the non-con. But this team is playing well, and again, even despite some of the stuff on social media that has maybe given some people some pause, Everybody still loves this staff. They're still doing a great job. There should be no like there should be no harsh criticism towards them. And I don't want what I'm saying to be taken that way. It's just I maybe would have avoided it or gone about it a little bit of a different way that they did. But guess what? If Bramlage is full the rest of the year, then they did their job. And if it took getting some people pissed off about what they were saying, like, well, that's just flat wrong. We show up. We support as K-Staters. Then, then they're the smart ones. They're the ones that have this figured out, not me. So – that's just something to monitor as we see it move forward. We already know that uh, three games have been sold out on the uh, the schedule for K-State. That means uh, they've got a, a couple more left to go. It does seem like the Oklahoma State game will probably end up there as a sellout as well. So it, K-State basketball is in just an impressive, impressive spot right now with how uh, everything is going. A couple of other notes and things to uh, take into consideration with K-State's number 11 spot in the top 25 now with how everything has gone. K-State is now in the top 25. KU and Missouri also in the top 25. Uh, This is from from our guy Gabe Swartz. The last time K-State, KU, and Missouri were all ranked at the same time was January 6th, 2014. So nine years ago, is the last time that K-State, KU, and Mizzou were all ranked at the same time. That's almost 3,300 days ago, so a uh, pretty a pretty impressive mark there. K-State also number 13 in the coaches poll now. They are one of five Big 12 teams ranked in the AP Top 25. KU up to number two. Future Big 12 conference mate Houston is, again, the number one team in the country. And then Texas stays at number 10, so they keep their spot inside the top 10, moving down from number six. Iowa State gets a big jump from 25 to 14 after their big week, so they get the victory over TCU on the road over the weekend. That moves them up to 14. The Horned Frogs remain in the top 25 at number 17, and then Baylor is on the outside by a spot. They just barely got beat out by Marquette, who's number 25. Baylor is number 26 right now. And the Wildcats, they received votes from every pollster this this week, except for Dave Preston. Uh, Dave Preston, he has, he has a weird ballot because Providence, who's number 19 in the AP Top 25, and is unbeaten in the Big East. The, the luck of the Friarish lives on. Uh, he also did not have Providence in his top 25. 
and people have been all over him and hounding him on Twitter today, and you know you've made a bad top 25 when Kansas fans are also going after Dave Preston about not having K-State ranked. So uh, he's hearing it from everybody. Things are not probably going well for his Twitter mentions today and the way that everything sits. Uh, but that's a that's a note about how everything has kind of gone on. And K-State got three votes for fourth in the country this week. So this is a big week for the Wildcats because, as I said during football season, and I, I say it every single year whenever there are big wins, the best way to follow up a big win is to get the next big win. And, and actually, it's a bigger win to win after the big win. So, yes, it's great that K-State is 3-0 right now. They got two road wins last week in Texas against Texas and Baylor. But now you have to come in and back it up for a game at home against Oklahoma State who is a beatable opponent. They are one of the more beatable opponents left on your schedule this season. K-State has to show up and take care of business against Oklahoma State because if not then that kind of feels like some of this all goes by the wayside and it slows down momentum a little bit and and K-State is going to lose games in the Big 12 this year there's no doubt about that some team is going to lose at home to Oklahoma State this year there's no doubt about that but K-State cannot be that team with everything they have going right now and the positive equity they have built up uh, with with the country and the way they're viewed so that is significant and K-State Oklahoma State is going to be a very, very important game uh, over the next uh, in the next couple of hours as we get set uh, for tomorrow's game between the Cats and everybody else. So uh, we'll see if at some point the uh, – here we go. I was going to give you guys kind of the breakdown of how the poll worked out. So K-State got three votes for fourth in the country. In total, if you go and look through, there end up being 21 uh, pollsters – that have K-State inside the top 10 as it stands right now. Um, so they've got a lot of love coming their way. People are fully bought in on what they're doing. And a lot of that comes down to the fact that K-State is one of only a select few teams that have the amount of quad one wins that they already have uh, this year. So K-State in there sitting with uh, four quad one wins, like, there aren't a ton of other teams that, that are in that category right now, and especially uh, at a 4 and one clip. So that's significant for K-State to be at that mark and uh, how everything else has gone. So that's kind of setting the stage for everything going on uh, in, in the macro and everything. Now let's dive into why K-State is in this position. And obviously everybody knows that a big reason for it is the way that Marquise Noel has played over really the last three games, but the last two are the ones that stand out because he's put up over 30 points in those games. The assist numbers continue to just be off the charts for Marquise Noel. It's a very impressive stretch of basketball that he is playing at this point in time. So on the season now, Marquise Noel is up to 17 points per game for the Wildcats. He's dishing out 8.9 assists per game. And uh, KSU fan posted the numbers earlier this weekend, but if you you go into his Twitter, you can find him on there. Marquise Noel, with this pace, would become the single-season assist leader uh, in the Big 12. He's edging out Doug Gottlieb, who had an 8.7 assist per game uh, season at Oklahoma State. So Marquise Noel 
is dishing it out at the highest of levels for the Wildcats right now. And by the way, he is also scoring the basketball at very high levels. And it's not just the fact that he's scoring the basketball, he's doing it very, very efficiently. So Noel on the season is shooting 41% from the floor and almost 38% from three. Over the last two games, so this Texas road trip that Noel had that was just unreal, he shot 60% against Texas and 50% against Baylor from the floor. And then from three, he was above 55% in both of those games from three-point range. And he had seven attempts in the game against Baylor and 10 against Texas. So he is efficient. He's firing. He's not doing any wrong at this point in time. He's finding a lot of ways to get it done. And even better for Noel, he has been one of K-State's better free throw shooters this year. He's at 87% something that they had struggled with. Now, they made them uh, in their last two games, which is a big development for them. They made them against Baylor. They made them against Texas. But he's also gotten to the line double-digit times in the first three conference games, and he's knocked down a majority of them. Uh, In conference play, as it stands right now, he is uh, 34 of 38 from the line. Three of those misses came against West Virginia in that overtime victory. So Marquise Noel is a big reason for why K-State is having the season they are currently. And obviously the assist numbers are important, but he's under three turnovers a game. He's at 2.7 turnovers right now. Uh, So things going very, very well for Marquise Noel, and he is playing just a a massive role for K-State. He's getting the attention that he deserves and Marquise Noel was named Big 12 Player of the Week. Probably not much of a surprise there. The Wildcats swept that the awards this week in Big 12 men's basketball because Keontae Johnson was named Newcomer of the Week. And the reason for Keontae Johnson getting that honor is because he was just as good uh, for the Wildcats with how everything ended up going on. Johnson is averaging almost 19 points a game on the season, seven boards a game, and in conference play for the Cats, this is what he's done. He, he was good and solid against West Virginia, but he also went to a totally different level this past week on the road in the Lone Star State where he had 28 against Texas, and a good job there. And then 24 against Baylor. He had nine rebounds in each of those games. So he's come through. He's done very, very, very big things for K-State, and there is no doubt that these two guys are are one of the best duos in college basketball right now. And that's another thing that just the environment and the feel of this team brings back, I think, a lot of good memories for people is because, like, those those Frank teams that were fun, like, you could point out that there was a duo there. You're like, those guys are really exciting to watch play together. Like, they got something going. And that's what you have right now. And they've been on the floor together and and they're playing well they haven't had a sit you know injuries or whatever haven't popped up like that was the problem with with Dean Barry and Cam was they were really 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 good when they were on the floor together but it seems like almost every year like those guys had to take breaks to where one was not able to play because of injury I mean Cam ends up getting hurt their freshman year together I think was that like the George was it Georgia it was the SEC game I can't remember who it was that year um, so they, they end up having to, to lose him. He gets hurt there. I guess it wouldn't have been Georgia because they played on the road at Georgia that year, so I can't remember who exactly it was, but it was a home game 
uh, in Bramlage, I'm pretty sure. And then, obviously, we know the history that Dean had with with his foot injuries and everything that went on there. So the fact that these guys are playing at a high level, it it, it has that vibe. I mean, they're obviously not to the level right now uh, that, that Pullen and Clemente were, but it does have that same kind of vibe. And obviously, if they keep this up, like these guys are going to shoot up the leaderboard of K-State duos way quicker than you think. I mean, we there was some chatter in a, in a, a group chat we have uh, there's a, a bunch of us that, that cover K-State and are around K-State that we were talking about it over the weekend about, you know, comparing uh, this duo to like Barry Brown and, and kind of what he did and everything. And if, if this pace keeps up, like there is no doubt that Marquise Noel is seriously going to to threaten some of those numbers and, and some of the things he's doing for this team. I think another big part of what's gone on with Marquise Noel's game this year and what has switched with how he's he's been able to perform because if you you look at what Noel did last year it was he was a nice piece he was a good player to have for K-State and you felt fortunate that they were able to get him but he was obviously you know the secondary guy uh behind Nigel Pack and it was more of like a toss-up type of thing if you looked at it you're like okay you know you're gonna have some games where he goes out there does some good things he can hit some shots every once in a while but Noel shot 30, 31% from three last year. That was the worst he'd been in his career uh, from three. And the assist numbers, still very good. I mean, it was five assists a game last season, but he's almost doubled that. He has raised his three-point percentage to, if you round up, he's raised it seven points this year to, to almost 38% is what he's shooting from three. His field goal percentage is up. He's getting to the free throw line more. He's knocking free throws down at a very high level again. And obviously the assists and the steals and everything else, like those are in great spots. Marquise Noel has obviously put in the work, and I think he has proven that like the the Noel we got last year, which was good and serviceable and a great piece for K-State to have, he obviously didn't think that was the version – of Marquise Noel that everybody should know. And that, that really wasn't the real him. Like there was a lot that was left to be desired. And he went out and took care of business uh, over the off season. We, we knew from the start of the season and he was asked about his shooting. Like he put in a lot of work to get his shooting back in a good spot. And we're starting to see that again with what he's doing from beyond the three point line. But I think the biggest thing that has contributed to Marquise Noel being in the position he is uh, in this year and the way things have gone is just the sole fact that like he is so bought into this staff and they believe in him. And from the second they got here, he believed in the staff and he was ready to, to go to war for Jerome Tang and do everything he had. Like they just connect so well with this staff. And I also think that like that's that's really where this entire roster is. Like they have this connectivity to this staff and they feel so good about everything. Like I, I don't think that it can be um, overstated how important it is to have guys that it's not just like you, you want to go out and play hard for your coaches because the guys that played for Bruce Weber, they had that too. Like they love Bruce. And that's one thing you can never fault Bruce Weber for is that people were always going to be there and, and support him and their players were going to play hard. Like the players support Bruce and they love him and everything. But I just think that it's at a different level with Tang and this staff because it, it just is this different vibe. And, and I, I don't know, like that's the only way you can describe it right now. I mean, there are some some things that happened when Jerome Tang took over that Marquise Noel was was bought in on, and he was ready to help be a leader, and he's doing it in every way. 
Then you have Keontae Johnson. Like Keontae Johnson ends up at K-State because he could buy into the man and the person that Jerome Tang was and the coaches that he put on on this team. It, it made Keontae Johnson decide that K-State was the right spot for him. And, and boy, is K-State thankful that that's the case. So those two guys are playing at insanely high levels as you see it right now and it's a it's an important special deal but another reason for all of this is because they have won these first three conference games without David Gasson who had been the start like the starter at, at the five spot uh throughout the course of the season and getting into the point where they were ready for conference play he's been out with an injury and again the timetable on that one it seems a little iffy doesn't you don't really know when it's going to uh to shift uh, it doesn't seem like we're going to see him anytime soon so I don't imagine we see Gasson this week uh we, we may get a little bit of a better update uh, I'm recording this before there's a, a media availability this afternoon with uh Tang and Marquise Noel and Ish Masood. but one of the reasons why K-State is on this stretch and playing so well right now is because of a guy like Ish Masood, who was one it was the second holdover from last year's team. And it wasn't a team that once Nigel Pack left, there were not a ton of guys on this roster from last year that the coaches that came in looked at and said, okay, yeah, we can win in the Big 12 with those guys. Ish Masood was one of the guys that was able to stick around and make it through. And he has had a reduced role this year but it should be pointed out that what he's done in the last couple of games, stepping up and helping K-State out when they've needed it, he hit some big free throws in the game against Texas, and he gave him 20 good minutes. He's also been able to, at times this year, when K-State wants to go small, play the five for him, and that's been significant. Like That's an important deal, and he's done some good things. Well, his best game, without a doubt, of the season and probably some of the biggest shots he's hit, he's hit in his career – happened in Waco on Saturday, where in just 17 minutes of action, he scores 13 points on 75% shooting from the floor. All of his attempts were threes. He made a couple of free throws as well. And shout out to Cole Manbeck, who before the game in our group chat said, it was like lunchtime when he said, he's like, Ish is going to hit three threes today. And sure enough, he hit three threes exactly. One in the first half that was important, one in the second, and then the one in overtime that becomes the game winner. And it's because of guys like Ish Masood, who's given them good minutes over the last couple of games when they've needed it in the absence of David Gasson, that things are going well. Desi Sills, a guy that I have been hard on throughout the course of this season, he has come in and he is playing well in the last couple of games. Now, he has seen a little bit of a minute reduction. He's, he's down about four or five minutes from where he was the two games before the Texas road trip. But when he's gotten in there, he's given the Cats a spark and he fights hard. He does some good things on defense. He knows how to facilitate the ball. Sometimes the decision-making is lacking a little bit, but when when he is on, he is starting to play better, I feel like. Uh, he's also avoided turnovers for the most part during conference play. He only has three in the three games that have been played. So I, I think seeing some of these other guys start to step up and do a lot of good things, and honestly, the guy that needs a lot of credit is Bebe Igiola. Like, K-State missing him for a stretch of time, that was more significant than we probably thought. He ends up missing about a month of time. He had last played in the Cayman Islands, very few minutes in those games in the Cayman Islands, and he saw about 11 minutes of action against Radford, that game before Christmas break. Well, then he comes in to Big 12 play. He's played 22 minutes against West Virginia, 
only 14 against Texas, and then 25 against Baylor. But what he has done is come in and provide something that K-State hasn't seen out of their bigs in a long, long time. When he's ready for a pass, when he makes a play, makes a cut, he can feel the pass. He has the hands to actually catch the basketball. And not only is he catching the basketball, but he's going up and he's able to finish at the basket. He knows what kind of touch he needs to put on it to, to finish with a lay-in or whatever he needs to do. And that's been huge because so many times over the last three, four years, K-State was leaving buckets and scoring possessions out on the floor because they had bigs that couldn't handle the basketball and couldn't finish at the rim. And Bebe Igiola it has impressed me. Like Sometimes the way that he moves, it, you, you wouldn't think that he'd be able to be as successful as he is, but like it, it's kind of like Dirk Nowitzki movement out there where it, it looks very robotic and slow at times, but by golly, he gets to the spot he needs to be in. He knows exactly what to do. I, I think Bebe Igiola is a very, very smart player, and I think he is a great guy to have on this team. I mean, you anytime that he has spoken this year, it's just been one of the most humble guys you can listen to because he goes out there, he's just like, hey, whatever whatever the team needs me to do. I also think he's gotten some bad luck with some foul calls that have been called on him. Like, I, Big 12 refs have been in a world of their own this year, but the the contribution they have gotten out of him has been significant as well. Another guy that has stepped up over the uh, last couple of games is Cam Carter. He had a big day against Texas. Uh, if you didn't read it, go back and read the feature story that Alec did on Cam Carter on Email Online because it kind of lays out the circumstance and situation. But he had a good day against Texas last week and then also was able to make some nice plays against Baylor, the biggest being when he kind of initiated some of the offense and was able to get a nice kick out for the Cats and they hit a three. Um, and that was on a possession where Marquise Noel kind of got to catch his breath and just hung out in the corner for a little bit. And so having something like that where you can give Noel a little bit of a break or even set up the offense to where these teams are expecting Noel to handle the ball a thousand percent of the time now, to be able to have a moment where you can kind of give him a different look, that's significant. That's all very important. So K-State, it's not just the fact that they've gotten all-world performances from Noel and Johnson over the last couple of games, it's the fact that the the other guys on the squad are stepping up as well. Naquan Tomlin is a name I haven't mentioned yet. Naquan is what he is at this point in time. A ton of potential. He makes great plays when he's out there. He's got to get a little bit more refined still with some things. Like he He's still K-State's third best player, but there are times where he's going to be like their seventh best player because he's going to be in foul trouble or he's going to make a couple of silly mistakes. And uh, I think that's that's going to be an important thing to watch out, especially in this game against Oklahoma State, is seeing how K-State is able to uh, maybe avoid the foul bug that they've gotten into the last couple of games because that's uh, that's been a big issue to, to kind of keep an eye on moving forward. So those are some of the things of note. The last thing that I will say, uh, and this goes back to Noel and Johnson, those two guys are not just playing like all Big 12 first team selections right now. Either one of those dudes realistically could be the Big 12 player of the year as we sit right now. And I understand there are 15 more games left in the in the Big 12 season, but what they are doing to this conference is impressive And what they mean to this team is very, very important, much more important than some of the other guys out there. I mean, 
you could argue Kansas, Jalen Wilson, and Grady Dick are, are right up there with those guys, but they also have the depth and they have the pedigree of some guys behind there that they, they should be able to survive without one of those guys. K-State would not be able to survive and, and do the same things that they've done over the last three games and really this entire season if they didn't have one of those guys. And it's tough to project that Marquise Noel keeps scoring 30 points every game. He's currently averaging almost 31 a game in Big 12 play, but he can certainly keep it up at a level close enough to that and the assists and the steals and everything else that goes with it. Uh, Marquise Noel is a legitimate threat for the Big 12 Player of the Year award and, and should be considered in that, that same category as some of them. Keontae Johnson also in the same boat. And like he's the guy that profiles more as it. He was the SEC preseason player of the year before he ended up with the heart condition that, that took him out of play for two years. But he's playing at that level. And, and I think as he continues to be out there, we're just seeing him get better and better at what he's doing. So I've been very impressed with uh, how everything has gone for, for those guys. And, and they are playing at a level where don't be surprised if they are in the conversation for any of those significant awards in the Big 12, and they really should be. I mean, at this point, there's no doubt that Keontae Johnson is going to win Newcomer of the Year in the Big 12, unless Naquan Tomlin goes off over the last half of the season and steals it from him. So K-State is getting that award. But now, do both of those guys get on first team? They should at this point in time. Do, does one of them make the case and steal Player of the Year from Mike Miles at TCU or either Jalen Wilson or Grady Dick at Kansas or whoever else in the league feels like they could possibly win that award? It's going to be a fascinating watch, and uh, we'll, we'll see how ultimately it ends up going there. All right, the magic of podcasting. There you go. Uh, I took a quick break in there. You would not know the difference unless I uh, it said something just there, but uh, you talk for 40 minutes straight, you kind of need some water, and I got that. A little bit of a quick rest, and uh, going to finish this thing off today with a little talk about what's going on in the Big 12 right now. There are three teams that are 3-0 at the top of the league. Kansas, who's now the number two team in the country. Iowa State, who is 3-0 and number 14 in the league. And then obviously K-State, who we just spent the last 40 minutes talking about. So those teams are in great shape right now. TCU, Texas, they are both 2-1. and one. Those are the other two ranked teams in the conference at this point in time. And then Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are 1-2. and two. And then there are three teams that are 0-3 in Big 12 play as we sit right now. West Virginia, probably if you had to ask somebody, hey, who starts 0-3 in conference play, give me three teams before the season started, West Virginia probably would have been one of the three teams you threw out there um, just because, I, I don't know, I, I think some people realize it, some didn't. Like, there, there would be some problems for West Virginia this year, and they've certainly run into them. Uh, I, I don't know that the Eric Stevenson experiment is going well. Huggins, I guess, you know, after the Oklahoma State game said he uh, may be, he needs to be careful because if he does something again, he may not be on the team anymore, stuff like that. So, not shocked there, but Texas Tech and Baylor are both 0-3. They are 10-5 and right now. And the scary thing for a team like Baylor is they already have two home losses. So this is not an easy league, and they have already lost two home games to TCU and K-State. For Texas Tech, their losses have also been at home. They have two home losses to KU and Oklahoma. KU, obviously, it is what it is, but... The Oklahoma loss stings. That was an overtime. Tech fought back to force OT, and you felt like at home, United Supermarkets Arena, they were going to be able to get the job done. They were not, so they have started 
0-3 in conference play as well. So that's uh, that's tough for the Red Raiders and the Bears where they sit right now. This week in the Big 12, uh, K-State and Oklahoma State, they go on Tuesday. There are no games tonight, Monday, because of the national championship in football. So K-State, O-State, they have the first jump at 6 o'clock uh, tomorrow evening. The Cats are four-and-a-half-point favorites. Iowa State hosting Texas Tech at 7 o'clock. Uh, Iowa State four-and-a-half-point favorites in that game, and then KU ten-point favorites at home against Oklahoma at 8 o'clock, and then the two Wednesday games. Baylor at West Virginia at 6, and then TCU at Texas at 8 o'clock. Texas in an interesting spot right now. Rodney Terry had his first uh, true media availability as the interim coach at Texas today uh, after uh, it became official that Chris Beard would not be returning after he was fired by the University of Texas for uh, the incident that went down, uh, the physical altercation with him and his fiance, And Texas just kind of laid out like, hey, even though you may not get charged with anything or you know you may not end up whatever we still think that this calls for you to be fired they feel pretty confident that they aren't going to have to pay him a dime and I feel like the reason it took this long was probably for that reason they felt like they were going to be able to get out of it without paying Chris Beard uh one of the there are a ton of names that are out there right now for the the hunt at Texas and who's going to be the next head coach there Jerome Tang's name was brought up by some people and again that would be a very smart move for Texas like Jerome Tang would be the smart hire here's the thing though that is not what Texas does Texas wants the sexy hire Texas is in it and Jerome Tang although a fantastic coach as it's already proving out to be can put together a great staff and can get an entire fan base bought in and ready to go Jerome Tang has only been doing this now for 15 games the University of Texas does not want 15 games of experience. They want the big, splashy hire. And I said from the get-go, I-, I thought John Calipari would be that guy. It seemed like going into this year, like things were pretty frosty between him and the people of Lexington, and now it seems to be getting even worse and worse there. Um, and then there was a report out today that, yes, indeed, uh, John Calipari might be the play. Uh, this is from Travis Branham who is actually a, uh, a national basketball analyst for one of our uh, competitors. But he said that he's added a few names to uh, the list of possible candidates, including Kentucky's John Calipari. Calipari has a lofty guarantee, not a buyout. He's free to leave Kentucky if he chooses, making him a more real- realistic option than expected. Certainly fits the, uh, the sexy narrative that, t- that Texas would be looking for in a head basketball coach. And again, Calipari... Uh, lost to St. Peter's in the first round last year after many thought they could win the NCAA tournament. And then this year, he's sitting at 10-5. and five. He already has two losses in league play, uh, including at Missouri and then at Alabama, where they just got throttled over the weekend. Uh, their only wins so far in conference play, just the one against LSU. So they have not been able to get jo- the job done. They have losses to Michigan State and Gonzaga and UCLA on their schedule as well. So... Seems like things are getting pretty frosty there, and if I had to pick a favorite right now, I think John Calipari is the next head coach at the University of Texas. That's just my gut feel, my vibe, and what I've thought moving forward. And your reason for trusting me on that is because I was completely right in my Chris Beard stance. I said that Chris Beard, I I said this long ago, that Chris Beard gave off like creepy divorce dad vibes. Well, 
he certainly gave something off. Uh, and then everybody got to, to kind of prove that and, and see how that might end up working out. So that's uh, that's an important deal to note. Uh, so that's what is going on there, and I just wanted people to know, I, I don't think you have to worry about Jerome Tang. I also don't think he would bolt K-State after a year, and I just think like the situation is right, and I think also Gene Taylor is, if anybody came for Jerome Tang, he would fight his hardest to get the money it took to keep Jerome Tang at K-State. Like, Gene Taylor knows he's killing it right now at K-State, even though he's trying to be humble. There was the uh, the quote that was posted uh, earlier last week about what Gene Taylor said about, you know, everybody that's coming to pat you on the back, like there's somebody that might turn around and hit you in the face or whatever it was. Like, he's, he's being humble about this, but... He, Dude's killing it. Like, I mean, come on. Chris Kleiman, obviously, has been a dynamite hire, and Jerome Tang is also looking like that right now. And we know from the way the last coaching search played out that ultimately ended up with Jerome Tang, like, there is probably some extra money out there that K-State could go and acquire if they wanted to try and keep Jerome Tang around. I think that they would. I also, again, don't think that Jerome Tang is actually a serious candidate for the Texas job because they're not smart enough in Austin to make that hire. You know, there, there's a reason why Steve Sarkeesian was their next football coach, and things have not worked out there yet with Sark. He's doing the same crap that Tom Herman did. Uh, and, again, it's because they just don't make the smart hire. They make the sexy hire. And, typically, that doesn't pay off for you in the long run. Now, you can make smart and sexy, and that's what, like, Lincoln Riley at USC was. That was smart and sexy. Like, that's totally fine. Um, but sometimes you got to make the, the smart hire and I don't think Texas has that within their their wherewithal to, to do so. So that's kind of my thought there. Uh, we will have pr- plenty of coverage continuing for you over on email online throughout the basketball season. Transfer portal season is also important to, to keep up with right now. Uh, the Wildcats are very active there as we're going to try and look to see how everything else plays out. The Cats looking to add to their roster. Seems like there may be some things on the horizon, so go to EMA online. Follow along with the Cats. We've got you covered, and uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed me ranting for 50 minutes on this Monday afternoon. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll see you in Bramlage on Tuesday, and the Cats and the the Cowboys will get ready to go as maybe Marquise Noel scores 30 for a third straight game. I don't know. You'll have to look and find out.